Welcome to the European CME Forum podcast. European CME Forum is a not-for-profit organization that promotes multi-channel discussion on matters relating to European and global CME CPD. My name is Eugene Pozniak. I'm the program director of European CME Forum. In today's episode, Monica Guidinelli from AO Foundation chats with Good CME Practice Group members Sophie Wilson and Celeste Kalanko. The Good CME Practice Group, or GCMEP, is a membership organization for CME providers based in Europe. The focus of today's episode is developing an accredited educational activity. Welcome to the second webinar of the Good CME Practice Group. I am Monica Guidinelli and I work for the AO Foundation, where my main responsibilities are accreditation and medical education research. Today, I'm going to discuss with Celeste Kulanko and Sophie Wilson about how to develop accredited continuing medical education. And without any further ado, I would like Sophie and Celeste to introduce themselves. I would start with Sophie, please. Hello all, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. I'm Sophie Wilson. I work for International Medical Press, a provider of independent and accredited medical education, and I've been working at IMP for over 17 years, and before that I worked in medical education, medcoms, traditional medcoms. Um, I'll hand over to Celeste. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Monica. And welcome to everybody. And thanks for joining us today on what's a very hot day um, here in the UK. Um, I'm Celeste Kalanko. I'm the Managing Director of Liberum IME. Like Sophie, Liberum, uh, we do independent uh, and accredited medical education. All of our education is grant funded. Um, I have been working in the um, IME, CME world, both in the United States uh, and then for the last eight years over in Europe um, for over 20 years now. Uh, and my previous career was in education as well. And Liberum IME, um, just like the AO Foundation and IMP are proud members uh, of the Good CME Practice Group. Thank you, Sophie and Celeste. So as you heard, we are part of the Good CME Practice Group that has four core principles uh, that can be applied to create good accredited education. So these four principles are appropriateness, transparency, balance, and effectiveness. So in our view, the most important aspects to create good educational activities are the, um, that the education is appropriate and effective. But before you start designing education that is appropriate and effective, you ensure, you need to ensure that this is transparent and balanced. So let's start with those two um, uh, principles. Um, Celeste, um, can you uh, please talk about how, what do you mean about transparency and how you uh, apply it to your education when you develop it? 
Thanks, Monica. I, I think, you know, transparency and to your point, I think there are four core principles um, that the good CME practice group adhere by. Um, but I do believe that some are just mandatory as we spoke of, and then the others really enhance what we're trying to do. Transparency is really just a basic underlying piece um, that all of our education needs to be transparent in that it has to reveal the sources of funding. Um, this has to be open to the public. This is not promotional. There are no logos that of company logos that, that sit on, on the um, on any of our content. Um, it also, it's, you know, we, we want to make sure that uh, all of our content experts all of our faculty, everyone who's involved, you know, declare what their conflict of interests are, if they have any. So basically, if, if somebody comes as a learner to the program, they should be able to say, Monica, you know, has been part of this program. And I see, you know, if she, if she has any conflicts of interest or not. Occasionally, conflicts will arise. And it's important to have a very strong uh, resolution policy to make sure you have that um, in place. And that can be a variety of different things, obviously peer review or multiple peer review being the gold standard uh, of that. But it's, it's really, really important that, um, you know, we are, our education is independent. So we have to let everybody know where, where this is coming from. And right from the very beginning, we want to gain trust with our learners and transparency is a huge portion of that. Thank you, Celeste. So that's clear conflict of interest. The source of findings need to be uh, put up front for the participants before they even register, correct? So they know exactly which piece of education you will, uh, will you will provide. So, um, Sophie, mm, can you tell us about what is balance and what is how you do that in your education? Thank you, Monica. I think the important thing to remember is why are we doing CME? We're doing CME to educate doctors so that they can improve outcomes for their patient. Every patient is different. And so a physician needs to know about all the therapies within the disease area, all the options that are available to them, not just the um, product, the agent that the particular supporter um, manufacturers. So when we do CME, an independent medical education, we've got to talk about all the products in the disease area so that the physician can tailor the op to the best option for their specific patient. And really, that's, that's what balance is about, is to make sure you cover the whole spectrum of medical strategies, of therapies, in the area. Um, I think that that's really, uh, that's it in short. Yes, and maybe also not having only one expert opinion, correct? Well, I think, I think, I think you do that by designing your program so that you, you cover all the therapy areas. And yes, you, you will get expert opinion and advice from um, a number of different um, experts. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so, as mentioned, uh, balance and transparency are the minimum that are required, and these are the basics for accredited uh, medical education. Um, but 
Um, and what we suggest, of course, is to have all the documents up, uh, collected up front. Uh, so you, especially for the conflict of interest, because um, you need to know before the, the conflicts that are possibly involved in uh, with your f- faculty or your experts to be able to mitigate them and to don't have problems um, later on. But now let's go to the core of the and to the most important and challenging aspects in designing medical education. So to make it appropriate and effective. Sophie, could you tell us how you go about designing appropriate education? I think, you know, again, it comes back, it comes back to the patient. Um, you need to, when you're designing a medical program, education program, you need to start with, um, where are the gaps for the patient? What, what isn't being treated? And then when you've identified the gap in a specific therapy area, you can then work backwards and say, okay, well, to improve patient outcomes, we need to address this and that educational need. Um, And so you then need to look at, well, what do doctors need to be doing differently um, to address that that gap in the patient's management? And when you're looking at at it, you know, it may be that there is a new therapy in a particular area. In that case, you may need to educate um, about knowledge. You need to be able to raise awareness and knowledge of, of new treatment strategies. Um, but the education might be a skills-based education. It may be that um, people simply don't know how to implement their new knowledge or how to implement new guidelines. Well, having a symposium that lectures about that how to do is not really going to educate. So you need to, in that scenario, you need to develop a programme that allows people to um to learn new skills and to apply new skills. Some of your gaps may be systems gaps, in which case, do you know what? It's we we feel we don't really know we're not in a position to address a systems gap. That may be policy or lobbying. So really once you've identified the gap in what the patient needs, you need to work backwards and work out what can you change in how doctors do. And doctors need to be willing to change so there's a lot of behavioral change science going on there as well Um, and once you've done that and worked out is your gap motivational is your gap systems is it knowledge or is it um, attitudinal you can then design your program and you've then done your needs assessment properly and you've then also got to think about you know, your target audience, have you got, are you targeting young doctors who may work online? Are you targeting more traditional doctors or in doc- doctors in areas where perhaps there isn't as much um, IT? You know, you, you've got to think about all these things when you do your your needs assessment, not just about what your supporter might want to hear. It's about what the doctor needs to improve patient outcomes. Thank you, Sophie. Um, but so then after you do your needs assessment, you decide what is your target audience. You need also to design the, to define your learning objectives based on the skill, um, uh, attitude or knowledge. Um, uh, but how can you translate 
these pieces in effective education. Celeste, can you please um, talk about this? So, you know, I agree with everything that, that Sophie had said. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's very easy for us to think about. And traditionally, I think education, especially here in Europe, when I came over here about eight years ago, most of the independent or CME or accredited materials were really led by someone saying, hey, I think that's a good idea. Someone needs to learn that. And, you know, what, you know, what do we want to learn? Okay, we want to sit people in a room, we want them to come to a, a meeting, um, you know, the, the, um, the term in the UK is bums in seats, that was something that was new for me, uh, you know, being over here, but really, it was just attendance, do people come and hear what you're talking about. And to Sophie's point, you know, the target audience, did it matter? Did, you know, that they were getting the right education? Was this something that was going to be valuable that they could, you know, ultimately use to improve their patient care? And, you know, the, the Moore's levels of outcomes, which were, have been around since the, the mid-90s and had been adopted uh, pretty much in the American model of, of CME and through the ACCME, was starting to really pick up and make sense over here to providers um, and accreditors over here in, in Europe. And they are the seven different levels, uh, starting everywhere from uh, level one um, participation. So basically, did I show up? Did I come to that meeting? Did I say I was gonna come? Did I come and sit and listen to somebody? talk to me for an hour or whatever. Okay, that's level one. Level two is satisfaction. You know, did you enjoy the meeting? Did you think it was useful? Um, you know, and that's also something that you want to, to truly measure. But that was where kind of the evaluation really stopped. Did you come? Did you like it? Once we get into level three, uh, you know, Moore's levels, now we're talking about a knowledge gain. Did I actually learn something from this? And as Sophie pointed out, you know, understanding what your gap is, understanding what that educational need is in the beginning is how you're going to decide what type of measurement and did somebody gain knowledge, you know, and what ways can you do a knowledge um, understanding, you know, if somebody learned something. Pre and post test is something that's obviously very normally done in any kind of education setting, not just in, in IME or CME, you know, what did you know beforehand? What did you learn afterwards? And that is an effective way of, of looking at knowledge. When we get into level four, we're talking about competence. So I learned something, but now can I actually know how to use it? So asking questions like surrogate cases and saying, you know, okay, you've learned about all this information. Now you have this patient here. What would you do in that practice, in that um, situation? And having people be able to tell you what, what they're going to, to do. Um, sometimes that's answering some multiple choice questions. Sometimes it's uh, free form asking people to, to write what they have learned, um, self-reflection. 
When we get into level five, level five is performance. And at a performance level, you want to see that somebody has actually taken something that they've learned and put it into action. So what have they done with that? What have I learned at this either a CME event, uh, this accredited online learning piece, a variety of different types of, of um, ways to, to, to do this. Um, you know, how have I put this into practice? What has this done? How have I used this? The final levels are, are patient health and, and community health. And, you know, looking if your activity has actually changed, patient health has actually changed community health. And I'll be very honest, those levels are very difficult to t- obtain unless you're working on a very large term project and you're doing a lot of analysis and tracking and those types of things. But we've moved away from just saying, you know, I went to an event, here's, here's a survey, here's a satisfaction survey. I thought I thought it was interesting. I liked the speaker. To actually, what are we going to do um, with this? With what we've learned, and sometimes it is definitely, you know, it can be as simple as a pretest, posttest. But we have to go going back to what Sophie said. We have to start from the very beginning. Where is the gap? Where, how are patients not being served? What do we need to do to make sure that Our education bridges those gaps and addresses that particular need. And, you know, if there is a new therapeutic um, that's come out and it's first in its class, sometimes knowledge is what you need. You need for people to be aware and learn about something, a new mechanism of action. Sometimes we need to know that they have the capability to actually use this information. And then sometimes we want to make sure that they are putting it into practice. And again, we learn all this stuff. It keeps going back to that whole needs assessment process, to the whole, you know, appropriateness. Is this the right education for this particular group? And then we marry that up with how we're going to measure it. And we do all of this in the very, very beginning. I mean, Sophie, I think you would agree with me. You don't think about how you're going to evaluate this after you've decided on your program. You're thinking about how you're going to evaluate this when you're going through your your needs assessment process, when you're designing your program, when you're getting into that instructional design phase. That's when you think about, you know, how you're going to to be effective, how you're going to measure us. So, you know, It's great to have education out there and give information. And there's all different kinds of we're seeing today, especially with the pandemic, you know, physicians time is spread. People are starting to learn differently. They want to access education differently. But we still have to think about some way of measuring. Are they actually benefiting from this? And ultimately, our goal is our goal is ultimately to make sure that patient health care is much better. Thank you, Celeste. So we have some questions coming uh, through the Q&A, but I would start with this one. Uh, Sophie, please. Um, which, uh, what challenges do you find in developing independent CME? I think, I think one of the big challenges is that People, doctors, people don't know what they don't know. And I think 
Celeste touched on it, is that, um, you know, we need to really find out what the true educational need is, not just rely on on hearsay or on what the supporter wants to support. You know, it's got to be, people don't know what they want, need to learn because they don't know what they don't know. Um, And what they don't know is what they need to be learning. It, you know, it's a bit of a vicious circle. And and that's the big challenge, is really pinpointing what people need to learn so that we can improve patient outcomes. And, and that's really where providers such as ourselves, but members of the Good CME practice group come in, because we may not all be physicians. Many of us, you know, we have a lot of physician consultants, but we're educators. And as educators, we can partner with societies with doctors to develop the best the best approach to learning and to filling the educational gaps and I think the challenge there is that often um, often doctors and our supporters seem to think they know what needs to be educated about because then but they're not always educators so it's I don't know if that makes sense but it's about um, identifying what doctors truly need to need to learn and often that's motivational yes of course thank you sophie i have another question that um, is about if there is a mechanism in which we uh, so this uh, um, participant is asking if there is a mechanism in which they can replicate the cme modeling in other countries uh, this participant is from india um, where it seems to be uh, 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 the pharma hub and the number of doctors. And uh, yes, so do you think that this model will be applicable in other countries? Um, I'm happy to start on that. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, knowing that, and, and to be fair, Sophie can address this as well. Um, she was one of the first people to start the Good CME Practice Group uh, about 12 years ago over here in Europe because there was a scene for a need of change. I think that this model of what we've developed in Good CME Practice Group can work in other countries and other areas. And I do think that uh, it really does take groups of like-minded individuals um, getting together to, to really formulate what they want to, to see uh, happening from a, an accredited or an independent education. A lot of times it means getting, um, you know, possibly governmental bodies, uh, healthcare system bodies on, on track. It's not necessarily an easy situation, but I will say that there are groups from a variety of different countries, uh, the accreditation bodies in Europe, uh, which are both, you know, uh, we've got the European, uh, you know, EACME, we've got the local accreditation country bodies, there is the ACCME in the United States, there's the Canadian colleges and their systems. And I think all of these different groups are very willing, uh, you know, it's been my experience that, that, that they'll share their information with you. I can't really make sure that, um, you know, I can't say that 
you're going to want to do it the same way in India because you always have to make sure that, um, you know, it fits what the cultural norms are. It fits what works with your healthcare systems. But I think the overall principles that we're talking about, these four core principles of good CME practice can certainly be applied to anywhere in the world. And it just, you do have to take your local, you know, your local considerations into consideration. Sophie, do you want to add anything onto that? No, I think I think it's about getting together with other providers in your area and and working together so that you can help build a solid CME foundation that works within your within your culture and your the way you doctors in your country work. So yeah, agree and. Um... So uh, we will have also uh, this type of discussion on, uh, um, we will run a dedicated session at the 14th annual European CME Forum. Um, so there probably the, we will continue the discussion on how this can be applied to different systems. Because of course the Good CME Practice Group is European focus, but the principles, can be used specifically to can be transposed to to other parts of course taking in consideration the background in which is um in which that is so we have another question uh, regarding the conflict of interest declarations so what is the best way to do this declaration shall i take that yes Sophie. monica thank you yes. so so conflict of interest declarations you know, there are many ways of doing it. And I think the most important thing is when you set up your program and you identify your target audience, your target learners, you also then need to work out, um, do you want it to be accredited by EACME, which is what we mainly do in, in Europe, but also ACCME if it's more of an international audience. Because a lot of the accreditors or EBAC, for example, in Europe, you know, a lot of the accreditors have their own conflict of interest form because they like to be able to assess assess your application fairly and in a balanced fashion compared to all all their other activities so the most the first thing probably is once you've worked out who you think you should be applying a credit for to for accreditation if they have a form use that form um but the most important thing from my perspective is you should be doing this at the start of your activity when you are inviting your faculty because you should be getting their conflict of interest form before you actually get involved with them because you might find if you leave it as a bit of paperwork um, to the end and you leave it to the end you then might find that actually they have a conflict and you want to know that before you can mitigate it so that you can mitigate it. Because if you wait for the accreditor to come back and say, well, there's a conflict of interest, it will be too late. So the most important thing is you can collect conflicts of interest in many different ways. Accreditors have their own form. Some providers have their own form. Work it out up front, according to your accreditor, your target audience, and get that conflict of interest form and look at it and check it before you actually get deep down into the programme. 
Okay, so I would just add two comments. One thing is that you can do also it automatically in the invitation email when you invite this person to uh, to the to the event. And who should declare? Everyone involved in the uh, development of the education. Uh, so even the educator themselves, so Celeste, Sophie, and I should declare the conflicts of interest. Um, and, uh, and then if you find, mitigate it. Um, now, in, we have three minutes left. Uh, we have a, another question regarding accreditation. So if uh, CME accreditation uh, link with professional development for all the professions and uh, who recognize CME accreditation. Is this for all the professions or uh, so also for pharmacists and so on? I'll, I'll take that one, one minute. Quickly. So, yeah. So, so, so bottom line is uh, normally most of the accrediting bodies are for physicians. Uh, there are some bodies that will accredit for other professions and some of them are uh, reciprocal with your, with the credit. If you have the physician credit, you can use it if you're a pharmacist or you're, um, or you're a nurse, but bottom line, it definitely is, uh, it's all situational, depends on country, depends on a, a accrediting body. Yeah, exactly. And in Europe, we have different accreditors that are specific for uh, different professions, not like in the US where you have the EACMI that maybe you have multi-professional uh, accreditation, correct? So now we have one minute. So I thank you all for participating. Thank you, Sophie and Celeste. And I wish you all the participants a, a good rest of the day. Thank you. That was GCMEP members Monica Gidinelli, Sophie Wilson and Celeste Colanco discussing how to develop an accredited educational activity. GCMEP is a membership organisation for CME providers based in Europe that aims to promote professionalism within the European CME provider community. More information can be found on the group's website gcmep.org. Thank you for listening and join us for more episodes as we explore all things CME CPD.